Hi, it's Leon Dolan, and my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical, is out now and available everywhere. People Magazine chose it as an April pick of the month, one of the best this week, a hopeful take on commitment, they said, and an innovative story about marriage. Mmm, sounds juicy. The Marriage Sabbatical, out now, available everywhere. Hi, this is Julie. This is Liz. This is Sheila. This is Monica. This is Leanne. We are the Satellite Sisters. You are listening to Satellite Sisters To Go. We are the Satellite Sisters. Welcome to the show. It is Sunday, December 16th. And uh, I am Liz Dolan. I'm here in Santa Monica, and I am joined on the air by my sister Julie Dolan in Dallas, Texas. Uh, And we just wanted to give you a special installment of Satellite Sisters because it has been a month since we have spoken. So, Julie, I mean, not since Julie and I have spoken, but anyway, Julie, welcome to the show. Hi, Liz. It's good to hear your voice. And yes, I, you know, we really, we just thank all of the Satellite Sisters that have listened to our shows, that have posted such nice things on our Facebook page and on our website. It is just, it has been quite a month for us and we just really appreciate all the love, support, prayers, kind thoughts that you have all sent our way. And, um, you know, today, of course, our hearts are, are, are so heavy uh, and so devastated by the news out of Newtown, Connecticut. I mean, it's it is, it, there are no words for the heartbreak for, you know, for those families, for that community, for that school. And it seems like, Liz, you know, that it, I knew the news was going to be worse today because I knew today would be the day that they would release some pictures of those innocent, sweet, beautiful children of those, you can tell, lovely, lovely teachers and principals and school psychologists, you know, that it just is so heartbreaking. All the flags in Dallas are at half-mast. I think everyone in the country has such a broken heart for for that community, for those sweet children. And, um, you know, I think it, it reminds, it is you know, it reminds you to reach out to your satellite sisters to, to you know, to make it through this this grief um, to see such a sad, sad situation. Right. I agree, Julie. We wanted to acknowledge that. I mean, today's show is going to be about us and the loss of our mother. Uh, you, as Julie said, we've, you've been so kind with your emails and your Facebook posts, and we've even gotten real cards in snail mail to the Satellite Sisters post office box in Santa Monica, Julie. It's amazing that people still have that address, 1112 Montana Avenue. Um, but the, uh, It has been a month since we have shared with you everything we're going through with the death of our mother and the illness of our father. So Julie and I wanted to get together and just bring you up to date a little bit on what we're thinking, how all the sisters are doing, and how how we celebrated our mother's life because it was last Friday that we all went to Connecticut, to Fairfield, Connecticut, where we grew up, and we had a, a mass for my mother and then a fairly major family gathering. And it turned out to be just, I can see now why people do these things, why they have these rituals and why they come together. For me, it was enormously comforting for all of us to be together last Friday. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, You know, I think that to gather together, to celebrate someone's life, to, you know, to seek comfort, support from 
from uh, you know, other loved ones, from people that loved and knew my knew our mother. Um, that is a very important step to do. Uh, you know, I know some people don't want to make a fuss, um, but you know, it is it is an important ritual. Um, you know, we're we're happy to tell you that our mother did die as she wanted to. She died quietly, peacefully at home with five of her eight children were able to be with her at that time. And, and she wanted, she very much wanted to have her final resting place in Fairfield, Connecticut. It's, it's where we all grew up. It is, um, our mother always loved Connecticut, didn't she, Liz? Right, right. She She was born herself in Hamden, Connecticut, born and raised around New Haven, and raised all of us in that same area. She loved New England, everything about it. The stone walls, the bittersweet, the churches, the whole New England package. Uh, Our mother was a big fan. Old houses, just stone walls, just as you said. And so it was very nice that... um, that we had time to plan the kind of funeral that she would want. I mean, to begin, we had it in the church that my mother and father helped, uh, you know, helped to start. Uh, this is when they first moved to Fairfield. I don't know. I don't even know how many years ago when they were just, you know, when they were just a young couple with young children. Well, it was the 50s, right? It was at some point in the early to mid 50s. And so they and a small group of people wanted to start a new uh, Catholic church in a new area in Fairfield, and they were one of the founding families of this church. And it's a church that was very important to our lives. I mean, it's where most of our brothers and sisters were baptized. Uh, We all made our first communion there, our confirmations there. Uh, You know, we were dragged to Sunday Mass. We went to every holy day. It's true. I, I said to a friend of mine who attended the funeral, I was like, you know, I made my first communion here in Latin. And she said, oh, my God, don't tell anyone that. That makes you sound so old. I'm like, it was the very last year of the Latin Mass. I mean, I'm a Vatican II child, but we got in under the wire, and we did our first communion in Latin. So that church, for all of us and our family, does bring back all of those milestones in our personal and family histories. Yes, I was the church where I was married, too. So I, you know, Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a big milestone for me, Liz. And so, yes, indeed, it was. So that was, again, it was so comforting to be in such a familiar place. Um, and you don't always have the occasion to do that, you know, if you've moved around a lot. But to be able to return to something very familiar, some, you know, that, that felt very good. Um, and the Mass, you know, we were able to pick out some of our mother's favorite songs. We knew that she wanted beautiful roses, and we were able, my brother arranged that. We had, you know, they, they had a special, um, they had a special bouquet of lily of the valley, which was my mother's favorite, favorite flowers. I don't know how my brother even found those in mid-December, you know, in Connecticut, but they got beautiful lily of the valleys to put, um, to put on the altar. So that was really nice too. But, you know, you know, and it was sad. We were all, you know, you're sad at the passing of your mother. Um, but Liz, you did the eulogy, um, or they called it, uh, they had a different name for it. It was like the prayer. Oh, I, I have the program right here in front of me. It was called Remarks of Remembrance. Remarks of Remembrance, mm-hmm. otherwise known as the eulogy. Mm-hmm. And our initial idea was that all five sisters were going to do the eulogy, but that um, but that got ixnayed. Uh, <laughs> by uh, by. Uh, 
<laughs> the priest. He said that was too many people, okay? And so, you know, we just, you wanted to do it. We all wanted you to do it. And um, you, you know, you, you gave such great, um, joyous remarks about our mother. I mean, the, you know, the last part of my, our mom's life was a very hard struggle. Um, and it was hard every single day. Um, and it was so again, comforting and uplifting and life-affirming to have you focus on the, you know, the joy of our mother. And well, our mother did have a very happy, very joyful life, and she took pleasure in so many things. Most of all, she took pleasure in our family. So having the whole family there together for this remembrance of her, I think really summoned her spirit into that room and into that space. But I thought, you know, you're right, Julie, we're each of us individually so sad about losing our mother. And it was really hard for me to try to figure out how to sort of channel that sadness into something that was like happier and reminded people that she had a good life and a big life and a long life. And uh, so as I was sitting here in my home, our mother had spent the last two years or two months of her life here in my home. Uh, so I had a number of her most personal things, the, bo- the few boxes of things that she brought with her when she moved in with me. There were three boxes that were the contents of her desk. And her desk to us was like the family vault where things went in there and they never came out, right? <laughs> that's, that's right, Liz. I mean, um, our family, record keeping, it's not our strong point. Yes, yes. So our mother did many things well, and I sort of ticked down a list of those things in my remarks of remembrance. But then I did mention that uh, there were some gaps in the record keeping so that I was very happy as I was going through her boxes of things after her death. And Maybe happy is not the right word. I was shocked, shocked at the bottom of the third box to find this envelope, which I'm holding in my hand right now, which in mom's little scrawly handwriting says, said birth certificates on it because, oh. because our entire lives have been spent in search of the paper trail of <laughs> birth certificates and baptismal records and immunization forms and all of the things that would go into that desk and never come out or, you know, things. Other families would have, you know, you know, you know, when you go to school and they say, okay, bring your immunization form in or bring your birth certificate in. And most children are able to go home to their parents and, and there they have a file and it's all alphabetized and notarized. We had none of that. We had none of that. Even, even a month ago when, and um, before mom died, when our oldest brother, Jim, was here visiting and spending time with her, he was saying that he had recently gone through a bout of shingles. And, you know, you can only have shingles if you've had chicken pox. So he said to her, things we've asked mom all the time, hey, mom, did I ever have chicken pox or did I get the measles or what? And you know how she always was in those moments. She's like, let me think. Was it you? Or I I thought it was actually Dickie that had the chicken pox. Oh, maybe you all had it at the same time. That would be like the entire medical history we would get out of mom. (laughs) 
<laughs> so she was organized in many ways, but this was not one of them. And so when I found this birth certificates envelope, I thought, this is it. This is the Holy Grail. She has secretly been keeping all of these things highly organized all of these years, but she just forgot that she had the envelope in the, uh, in the desk slash vault. So I opened it up and went through the actual contents of the envelope. And it was happy news for some people. So that, for instance, our brother, Brendan, who is child number seven of eight. So Brendan is just a little bit older than Leon. Brendan's birth certificate is in here, plus a duplicate of Brendan's. So Brendan's in here twice. <laughs> then there's a birth certificate for Sheila. So Sheila's in here, and on Sheila's in red, like a red pen, someone has written the number five and put a circle around it, because Sheila is, in fact, child number five. So I thought, at one point, there was probably a matched set of all these birth certificates, and they were each numbered. So you would have been three, and I would have been four, and Sheila five, and Monica six, and Leon eight. But now, all that's left is left of that series is number five. And then the next thing in there was Sheila's first Holy Communion certificate. The sacrament of the Holy Eucharist was was received by Sheila Dolan. Good for nothing, right, Liz? It really is good for nothing. Good for nothing, especially especially because her name is spelled incorrectly on it. I did not want to uh, point that out during the Mass, but anyway, so Sheila had uh, um, a... first communion certificate in there. And then the final thing in, which is actually very nice to have, is our parents' official certificate of marriage. So James Joseph Dolan, Edna Elizabeth Clarman, married the 27th of October, 1951, at the Church of St. Rita in Hamden, Connecticut. So that is actually very lovely to have. But after that, there's no, there's no you in this envelope. There's no Jimmy, no Dickie, no me. No. One thing funny, though, that I didn't mention in the eulogy but made me laugh, um, you know, Leah, as we know, Leon wrote the obituary for our mother. So it was there was the very nice, thoughtful remembrance that Leon did for the Satellite Sisters blog, which many of you have seen and responded to. Thank you. But she also wrote an official obituary that was more of the narrative of our mother's lives, and that's what went in the newspapers. But after Leon had written two or three drafts, she circulated it to three or four of us to do some fact-checking, a little, you know, repunctuation, that kind of thing. Then it's like, okay, done. This is the final version. And Leon sent it out to all eight kids, like, here's mom's final obituary. And like 10 minutes later, we all got an email from our little brother, Brendan, saying, um, I'm not in here. <laughs> so Oops. that Brendan had somehow just, we had all read it and proofread it. Somehow Brendan did not get listed among my mother's children. So I wanted him to feel good about the fact that he was in the birth certificate envelope twice. <laughs> he, may, he, may, he may not have been in the, uh, in the obituary, but he made the maid envelope two times. Uh, so, you know, I did want to conjure in the remarks of remembrance some of the like fun big things that not only our mother had done for us and with us and for our extended family because we had so many first cousins especially our our cousins who were the children of my mother's identical twin sister Eleanor had nine children so we had this like matching nine to our eight and we did everything together so it was great to have all of them there and to have that spirit in the church but I also you know part of the sadness for us Julie of course is that our father 
because he's in this late stage of Alzheimer's, can't understand any of this, right? He could not be present at the funeral, and he can't understand that his wife of, well, St. Rita's Church, 1951, they were married all that time, and he can't really understand that she's gone. So at the very end of my remarks, I wanted to, like, I was thinking, like, what would Dad say? What would he do in this moment? And... One thing he would say to our mom all the time as he, he's kind of a dreamer and a schemer, dad, wouldn't you say? Yes. He, yeah. he always, you know, he, he would always say things like, well, when my ship comes in then we're <laughs> going to do this, or if you kids could just have one hit record, or, you know, <laughs> if we could just sing one song and then we'll be able to do all these things. Yeah. He always had big plans, Liz, and uh, was working on it. Always working on some new big plan. And whenever he would float one of these ideas or come up with some scheme of something that the whole family could do together, you know, our mother would always say, oh, Jim, like, oh, that is just not practical. And, uh, and he would always say in those moments, he would turn to her and he would say, Edna, we may only pass this way once. And so I kind of, I want, I brought that spirit and those words into the eulogy because I wanted to represent our father. But I also do think that summed up our mother's life. She certainly made the best of it. She had a really a good life and a big life and, a, you know, a hard life in some ways. But they also, they had a lot of fun, our parents. My, our, you know, they had a lot of fun right, right until the end. I mean, even when mom was sick, wasn't the last thing she wanted to go to see was the Barefoot Contessa was coming to Santa Monica, and she wanted to get the book signed. And she was, you know, she, she just never stopped living and right. never stopped having fun. And that, I think, Liz, that's why your um, remarks or eulogy or whatever they wanted to call it was so uplifting and satisfying and comforting and uh just it was it was great to hear and i know that everyone in the church all of our extended cousins that have that traveled great distances to come to the funeral our friends that we had grown up with in fairfield some friends from mom and dad but you know it was just people people knew that about mom that that she you know she was she was one in a million that way. Or as her dear friend Jean Huey wrote me this week, she was one in a zillion. Oh, that, oh that's so nice. That's real nice, yeah. Well, it was lovely that after the funeral service, after the, the mass in the church, and then the burial at a beautiful old cemetery in Fairfield, our brother Jim lives right near there, the next town in Westport. So everyone, everyone went back to Jim's house afterwards. There were like 65 people there for lunch, which was it's just really such a lovely way to celebrate our mother's life because that was her favorite thing always was having all of us together especially all of us together eating and so that's that was really really a lot of fun I gotta say and Jim and Mary, are, you know, our, our brother and sister-in-law, uh, bought this house, I don't know how many years ago, 25 years ago. And it was the original Money Pit house. Uh, this is a house, it's an old colonial, and everything that could go wrong in that house, I think, I believe, has gone, gone wrong in that house. But they have, over the years, it is just so warm and cozy. And, you know, it was a cold day in December in Connecticut, and they had the fire going. And each room was filled with family and friends 
friends that were enjoying this lunch and they were laughing and there were young kids that were running around outside and it was so it was it just reminded me so much of holidays growing up as a child that our thanksgivings were always like that you know each room was just filled with people laughing and having fun and you know it was a day it was a moment that our mother would have just loved it you know yes. she would love to have been there you know no doubt about it mm-hmm. yes Yes, she would. And so it was really a great comfort and a lot of fun to all be together. And uh, then we were around, some of the family we were around for a couple more days. And uh, and now everyone is back where they started. That's That's kind of a weird feeling now. Like we've gone through this incredibly intense period with both our father and our mother since about like... I would say it was like March when the wheels really started to come off this entire operation the uh, of our parents living independently here in Santa Monica and it's just we've had just a lot of a lot of difficult moments a lot of drama um but that moment when we were all together in Westport and Fairfield was actually such a, a great reminder of like why we were all still sticking together through this because they created that, that sense of connection to each other and to other people. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed this week now, I mean, I'm home alone for the first time in months because when mom was sick and she was living here, all of you guys were here all the time. You know, everyone was coming and going and sleeping on the living room couch and arriving and just bringing stuff. And it was like super, like lovely to have like a real family home here. Um, And now that I'm home alone again, one really nice thing is that on the, the table I have in my entryway, which for a while... In October and November, those cards I was getting from people kind of hang in there or then sympathy cards. But now Christmas cards have started to roll in and some Hanukkah cards. And also in our mother's obituary, we suggested that if you wanted to do something in her memory, make a contribution to the Skirball Hospice here in Los Angeles. Because, Julie, you know, those hospice people were incredibly important to us in the end, right? I mean, I really think that the hospice people helped to shape the way that I can now think about mom's death, that I thought it was a peaceful, beautiful event. And it's because of their skill and because of their, you know, their just ability to help families through this. And I know many of you out, many of you know, you know, what hospice can do, that it is in fact a very life affirming process and uh they were with us and really helped us um at a time when if you it's hard to imagine that experience if there wasn't hospice liz there because mm-hmm. and confusing and so terrifying and and bewildering and in fact it was it was it, you know it, they helped to prepare us they helped to prepare mom and they made it in fact a very life-affirming process and uh and it's um and for that i am very grateful so the scurble mm-hmm. center is one but i you all know sent you know hospice services in in your own communities that do such tremendous work for families um at a at a very key moment 
Yeah, so now when I look at those cards, it's the whole range of things. The sympathy cards, the Christmas cards, Hanukkah cards, and in memory cards from the people that have made donations to Skirball. And all displayed together, it's actually really nice. That's It's very, I enjoy looking over there and getting that whole picture of life and family and love and all of that. And one other nice thing for us is I was very conscious as I was leaving uh, Westport at the end of the weekend that our niece Megan, so our brother Jim and his wife Mary, their oldest daughter is getting married this summer in August, and she will be married at home. So the very same home where we just all were together last Friday celebrating my mother, we will be there, you know, in August celebrating Megan's wedding. And it was it was nice to know, even though we will all be super conscious in August that our mother is not there. Yeah. It was it was nice as we were all leaving Westport the other day to know that we will all be back there gathered again as a family for such a happy occasion that's already on the calendar. You know, that we've often said to each other, you got to put these good things on the calendar because otherwise you do as a family start lurching from funeral to funeral, which is not a bad, which is not a good thing. So we'll all be back there for Megan's wedding in August, and I'm really, really looking forward to that affirmation of our family, too. You know, that meant a lot to me. I think that's right, because I think mom and dad have always been the center of the family, and it was a way as adult children that we would all see each other, is to come to see mom and dad, and then, you know, if we came to, you know, Santa Monica, then I could see you, and I could see Leon and Sheila, or Monica would come down. So, it's now that we don't have that same center. Um, uh, it's really, again, I feel the same way. I'm just so grateful that we have a joyous occasion to get together again. You know, and it's on the near enough horizon that, you know, it can it helps to lighten the mood over the loss of our mother and and the ongoing loss um, of our father. You know, it's it's not easy. I I rushed back after the funeral because I. You know, my you know late stage Alzheimer's. You just never know what's going to happen. So I didn't want to be out of town too long. And uh, you know, and I and you know, we, we you can't. My dad cannot understand the pa- you know mom's passing. He's just, um, but you know, he still can understand if you hold his hand and if you're you know and you speak in in up the uplifting and you know upbeat terms. He he enjoys that kind of thing. Um, but it is, you know, it is sad that um, at the end of their lives, they weren't together. Right. Uh, that is very sad for us. That, But, you know, their spirit carries on in us, Julie, in other ways, too. Let's get back to the record-keeping okay. thing a second. Because, I mean, we were mocking our mother for, for poor paperwork skills. But we had our own little experience of that this week, did we not? Just between you and I. We should be on top of this. I know, Liz. I mean, we, we are, I think, uh, generally thought of as some of the more competent sisters <laughs> in terms of this stuff. I mean, we would not let like the banking mom and dad's bank account, we would, I don't think we would put Sheila in charge of that, for example. No, no. Sheila has many talents, but that would not be one. So we, it was what was supposed to be a simple transaction that uh, a bank account of, of, for, you know, my father's bank account. I just, um, at, you know, you and I both have power of attorney for our, for our dad. Um, and that I just wanted to be able to write um, checks on his behalf for his care 
Um, uh, so I had to take a power of attorney document to the local branch of his bank uh, here in Dallas uh, because they had done all their banking out in California. Seemed pretty easy. Bring in the, the right, original. Right. Yeah. And I had done all these power of attorney forms with mom and dad three years ago. So yes. I had the like full official notarized witness, like you name it. We were incredibly on top of understanding that at some point in the future, we were going to need this documentation for both our mother and our father. So yes. that was the good news is that the documents even existed, right? That's right, Liz, and you handed it to me at the funeral in a lovely plastic folder with a sticky on it. It was all very businesslike and official. I didn't really review it because I knew it was businesslike and official, and I just marched into the bank, sat down with the very nice um, vice president of the bank and said to explain what I wanted to do, and she started to look at the power of attorney document, and she's making a face, and I can't figure it out, and she's really, she said, I'm going to need to call the legal department, and she had to fax it into the legal department, and they had a long discussion over the phone. And, well, as it turned out, the first thing was that um, instead of giving the power of attorney document, my father's power of attorney document to, to me, you actually gave me your <laughs> Which was an error. That was not, I did not mean to do that. And it was an error on my part because I didn't even read the document that you gave me. Okay. So the woman was, the, the nice vice president was making a face because it's kind of derivative. Like, I am, you know, you have given me power of attorney and you had power of attorney over dad. So does that, I mean, she was trying to work it out. But once I realized that, I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. But of course I had brought every document I ever had to the bank and I whipped out um, a copy of dad's power of attorney. So that, we got that straightened up after 45 minutes um, on hold with the legal department. So few. So now it's like easy sailing. Right, right. Yeah. Tap. She has to put me in the computer. I've gotten all the green lights. And so she's asked, I have to verify my address. That's going fine. A phone number, no problem. She said social security number. And so I give her my social security number and she's like, um, we have a little problem. And I said, what? And so she actually shows me her computer screen. She turns the computer around. She said, you know, because that can't be your social security number because you see right here on the computer, that's your sister's social security. <laughs> I was like, I'm looking at the computer screen. It has your name, Elizabeth Dolan, and it has my social security number. I said, no, 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 that's not right. That is my social security number. She said, well, you see, I can't enter you into the system with the same social security number. Somebody already. So at this point, she thinks you're some total scammer, right? I, that that I, something is very suspicious. I, you know, and I had gotten kind of gotten dressed up to go to the bank, Liz, so I looked official. But now I'm sure she thinks, like, I'm trying to steal somebody's identity, possibly your identity uh, or something. But or she, dad's. Or dad's. I don't know. But it's not going well. It's not going well. So I, le- I say, well, I'll get back to you. I'm going to have to call my sister we're going to have to straighten this out. So, okay, so I send you a text, Liz, that there's a little issue with. <laughs> so, uh, so we go, we go back, um, and um, you then have to take action right away. Right, right, right. So I get, I get your text, and then we spoke on the phone. I was at work. This is, this week was the first week I was at work every day for, you know, for months. I've been kind of 
not very present. So uh, when I get this message from you, I call you back. And I know that this is not my fault because I know my social security number. But of course, again, going back to the record keeping, none of us actually have social security cards. That's right. Because our, our parents did all of our social security numbers at the same time. So yours and mine are only one digit apart. Right. And we are like, we're all in a row, all eight of us. So what, it was really just a typo where the final digit, he had, the guy in my bank in Santa Monica had gotten it incorrect. So it's just a fluke that the putting it in wrong meant it was yours. Because <laughs> most people, that is, it would be some stranger whose number you have there. But so, so I called him back at my bank and he's like, Oh, okay. I said, so could, could you just go in and, you know, change the final digit? He's like, no, I can't do that. And I said, why can't you do that? He said, well, banks take social security numbers very seriously. You have to come in here in person with your social security card. I'm like, I do not have, I've never had a social security card, but I know my number. He's like, well, you have to come in with something else official on it, like a pay stub. He starts listing off all of these other things that would have my social security number on it. So that's what I did. So I rounded up a pay stub and a couple of other things, and I went into the bank, and he literally just turned the screen to me, just as your chase officer had done for you, showed me the number, and then changed the final uh, digit, and then miraculously, it was me, not you, and then the whole thing could go forward. So then you, on your end, had to go back into your bank later the same day, right? No, Liz, and I thought, well, okay, we've got it all squared away. Of course, I now have brought more documentation. I have brought my tax returns and my passport, (laughs) because I really believe that this woman, um, this nice vice president, thinks that I am trying to steal someone's identity. So we go in, And she's, again, tap, tap, tap. She puts it in. She sees that you have a different Social Security number. And she said, now, could you just verify your sister's birthday? I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Because, and Satellite Sisters will know that this is, um, this has sort of been an issue with Liz, that for the first decade or so, we celebrated Liz's birthday on September 12th, when, in, in fact, she was born on September 11th. So when she asked... Yes, but more plainly, my parents forgot what day I was born. So, that, you know, it wasn't just the celebration was the, was the wrong day. It's like they just had my birthday wrong. And they so, had my birthday wrong. So, so there I, are some discrepancies in my records, right? I, that's, well, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking I have a 50-50 chance of getting this correct. I mean, so, so I just went with 9-11, Liz, and fortunately... <laughs> That's what your birthday is in the banking, the Chase banking system. Just FYI, you might want to make note of that. So in case you are asked for uh, to identify yourself at some later point in time, you will know what information is on file there. So it was just a reminder of from where we come, right, Liz? Yes, right. We have come from... We from, have not come very far at all, frankly. No, we can't. No, we can't. But all's well that ends well, Liz, and that indeed we are, you know, we are now, I think all the paperwork is straight and that your social security number is yours and mine is mine. We do both have a, a collective worry about Sheila's social security number, yes. which we think is incorrect. And that's <laughs> for her. But that's for another Satellite Sisters um, uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's There's just a lot. If you've lost someone in your family and someone that you're responsible for, you know that there's a lot of this paperwork or record keeping that is pretty grim. 
you know, that you have to go through it. And so the, at least we can find a few things to laugh about uh, in the process. One other related thing I have been laughing about is because mom and dad's official address became my address several months ago, I get all of their magazines. It's very revealing to see what people get in their mail, you know, because you see their normal stuff, bills and things, but you also see what organizations they've been making contributions to and like all of that kind of stuff. But mom and dad get a lot of magazines and some they of the magazines Liz. They they, uh, well, I'm not sure they enjoy all of these, Julie, because like, I understand that mom gets Martha Stewart, right? That makes perfect sense. And okay. sunset, but Dad gets Men's Health magazine. Like, why? Like, what? I know he's a man, but if you've ever looked at Men's Health magazine, it's not exactly targeted at the 80-plus crowd. Dad also gets Fast Company magazine. Like, what is that? Then mom, then mom's issue of self arrived. Now, everything in self magazine would be so humiliating to our mother, like discussion of body parts and all of that. There's just, there's no way she would ever, I mean, she banned 17 from our home when we were 17, right? Because she right. thought it was just dirty, um, and then they, so they, all of these magazines, like dozens of different magazines. And I realized at one point there must have been some salesman or promotion or somebody got them on the phone and somehow signed them up for like 17 different magazines or 18 different uh, subscriptions. There is so much that is still flowing in that I don't know how to make it stop. I'm just hoping that at some point the U.S. Postal Service, like maybe magazines, they stop forwarding them. And this isn't, doesn't even talk about all of the catalogs mom gets because she was a big um, mail shopper, phone shopper. And uh, so the uh, it was last week I did get a call, luckily – from the, the nice people at TV Guide magazine. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure mom and dad are the last people in the world to get TV Guide magazine, <laughs> right? Who's they really? That. They didn't really, they wanted to find out when their programs were on, Liz. Right. And this was their method. Uh, and it worked for them, right? So I had a very thoughtful discussion with the woman at TV Guide magazine. It's like, do you have in your records, are you part of the same, like, publisher's clearinghouse that would have also signed my father up for Fast Company and my mother up for Self? She said, well, that is reflected in all of the records here. I was like, whatever you could do to make it stop. I explained to her the situation that our mother had passed away and that our father was not really able to read anymore. I was like, I would be very grateful if you could just figure out a way to make all of this stop. So nice TV guide lady said she is going to work on that and we'll just see how quickly that kicks in. But it's, it's another thing that Actually, every time an issue of self arrives with mom's name on it, it makes me laugh a little bit. (laughs) Oh, so here we are. It's the Christmas season. And, you know, people always say when you have this kind of loss over Christmas, it's extra sad. And in some ways, of course, it is. But it's also nice that we have time planned together, you know, I won't be seeing you over the holidays, but I'll be going to Oregon and I will see, spend Christmas with our brother Dick and our sister Monica. So that will be really nice. Last night I drove out to Pasadena and had dinner with Sheila and Leon and Leon's husband, Barrick. And that was our little mini Christmas because I won't be around. Um, and, uh, so that was kind of nice. And just FYI, Julie, do you, did you know that this year 
is Leon's 20th wedding anniversary. That's incredible. Yeah. I, it's, it's shocking and incredible that 20 years could have passed. Because, uh, yes, uh, I, you know, we hosted the rehearsal, rehearsal. dinner yes. for Leon's um, part, you know, wedding in um, when we lived in Fullerton, California. So it's it's amazing that's been 20 years. Um, so uh, good for them and uh, many more to come. That's what I say. Yep. So, um so, so there we have, have it. We're have a nice um, Christmas here, Liz. I think it is going to be quiet. I think it's going to be focused on, you know, sort of simple things. Um, I have, you know, I have, you know, I really put down my foot. I, you know, I, many people have advised me, like, not to go crazy. Don't feel like you have to, like, send out gifts to every single person and do all that stuff that you normally do. Just take it slow. Take it, you know, take it small. And that's what I'm going to do. So we're going to make it a nice Christmas for Dad. And uh, we'll be seeing him at the nursing home where he is. Uh, our son, Will, and his wife, Lauren, will be down. And, of course, our grandchildren, who, you know, we're just going to hug extra extra hard this year. You yeah. know, when yeah. you, I, mean, I think everybody's heart, every, this Christmas for everybody uh, in the U.S. is, you know, there is going to be a little, a little spot, a little hole or a big hole, you know, where you just feel for the families and what they have lost. Uh, and um, so it's a good time to reach out to your sisters, to your friends, um, and because we're, we, you know, we're all in it together, Liz. Right. We are. And we don't exactly know what we're going to do about our schedule for recording new shows. I hope we get a few in over the Christmas holiday. Yeah. But uh, I know you all understand that we're kind of playing it by ear right now. And people are ready to talk about some things but not about other things. Or just we'll work it out. So, so stay tuned whether you listen to us on iTunes or Stitcher or on our website, SatelliteSisters.com. We're, we're grateful that you're out there. Um, if you haven't joined our Facebook group, the Satellite Sisters group, uh, please do that. That's where we always post new shows there. And, uh, and we're really we're grateful to all of you, and we're thinking about all of you over this holiday season and hope everyone just has a very... Um, a very satisfying and loving holiday season. Wouldn't you say, Joel? That's I it. Say, I say amen to that, Liz. Amen to that. So thank you so much for listening. And don't forget, call your satellite sister. On a winter Sunday I go To clear away the snow And green the ground below April all an ocean away Is this the better way to spend the day Keeping the winter at bay What were the words I meant to say Before you left When I could see your breath where you were going to Maybe I should just let it be And maybe it will all come back to me Sing, oh, January oh.
How I lived at childhood in snow And all my teens and toes Stuffed in strata of clothes Pale the winter days after dark Wandering the gray memorial park A fleeting beating of hearts What were the words I meant to say Before she left When I could see her breath Lead where she was going to Maybe I should just let it be And maybe it will all come back to me Sing, oh, Janu Oh, Janu 